to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read a couple of sections there, verses 12 through 20 and 35 through 44. just want to thank our worship team for a great time of worship together. <clears throat> but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Beginning with verse, with verse 35, but some of you may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or something else. But God gives it a body as He is determined. And to each kind of seed, He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Well, I am 57 years old. I'll be 58 in just a few days from now. I've been trying to catch up with my wife for many years, but she always just steams to stay a little ahead of me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pass her though one of these days. So <clears throat> I just had to tell you that because everybody thinks I look older than she does. <clears throat> but my attitude towards birthdays is never to resent them. Actually, she's far more privileged because God has given her another year of life more than I have. And so I decided a long time ago that every birthday I was going to just say, wow. God gave me another year of life. Isn't that something to celebrate? So every year is something to celebrate. On the, uh, I'm not old and I'm not young. On the proverbial hill, I'm definitely over the hill. Uh, but I have discovered that, I don't know who said that, I live on Rob, Rib Mountain and life is more like Rib Mountain. It's just kind of uphill all the way. 
it's, I, I'm not feeling any downhill stuff in my life at this point. I, I came across a reading this last week, and it was written by, a, it caught my attention because it was written by a 57-year-old man. And uh, it's just, it just a real, uh, this is real life. I could have probably written this story. I'm glad it's not mine, but I'm going to read it for you this morning. $5.37. That's what the kid behind the counter at Taco Bell said to me. I dug into my pocket, pulled out some lint and two dimes and something that used to be a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> Having already handed the kid a five spot, I started to head back out to the truck to grab some change when the kid with the Elmo hairdo said the hardest thing anyone has ever said to me. It's okay. I'll just give you the senior discount. I turned to see who he was talking to and then heard the sound of the change hitting the counter in front of me. Only $4.68, he said cheerfully. I stood there stupefied. I'm 57, not even 60 yet. A mere child. Senior citizen discount? I took my burrito and walked out to the truck while I wondered what was wrong with Elmo. Was he blind? And as I sat in my truck, my blood began to boil. Old? Me? I'll show him, I thought. I opened the door and headed back inside. I strolled to the counter with my extra change, and there he was waiting with a smile. Before I could say a word, he held up something and jingled it in front of me. Like I could be that easily distracted. What am I now, a toddler? <laughs> Dude, can't get far without your car keys, eh? <laughs> We're just getting going here. I stared with utter disdain at the keys and I began to rationalize in my mind. Leaving keys behind hardly makes me an elderly man. It could happen to anyone. I headed back to the truck, slipped the key into the ignition, but now it wouldn't turn. I checked my keys, tried another, still nothing, and that's when I noticed the purple beads hanging from the rearview mirror. <laughs> I had no purple beads hanging from my rearview mirror. Then a few other objects came into focus, the car seat in the back, Happy Meal toys on the floor partially eaten donut on the dashboard. Faster than you could say, Ginkgo Biloba, I flew out of the alien vehicle. Moments later, I was speeding out of the parking lot, relieved to finally be leaving this nightmarish stop in my life. I began to feel this hunger, and that's when I reached for my burrito, only it was nowhere to be found. I swung the truck around, gathered my courage, strode back into the restaurant one final time, there Elmo stood draped in youth and black nail polish. All I could think was, what is this world coming to? And all I could say was, did I leave my food and drink in here? At this point, I was ready to ask a Boy Scout to help me back to the vehicle, <laughs> go straight home, and apply for Social Security benefits. Elmo had no clue. I walked out to the truck, and suddenly a young lad came up, tugged on my jeans. He was holding up a drink in a bag, and his mother explained, I think you left this in my truck by mistake. I took the food and drink from the little boy sheepishly. She apologized and offered these kind words. It's okay. My grandfather does that stuff all the time. <laughs> all of this to explain how I got a ticket doing 85 and a 40. Yes, I was racing some punk kid in a Toyota Prius. And no, I told the officer, I'm not too old to be driving this fast. As I walked in the front door, my wife met me at the hallway. I handed her a bag of cold food and a $300 speeding ticket. Promptly sat in my rocking chair and covered my legs with a blankie. The good news was I had successfully found my way home. 
Well, that's funny. <clears throat> funny story. You know, we're all getting older. And uh, we all, one day after another, will approach that place called old. And we all know what comes next. Uh, we spend $2 trillion every year in this country trying to fight off this enemy called death. We spend about 40 to $50 billion in cosmetics trying to hide the fact of how it's progressing in our lives. Now, I realize if you're here and you're 15, that getting, and you're waiting for your driver's license, that getting older may not be a bad thing. Or if you have uh, two or three young ones in diapers, getting older might be a good thing. But for most people, there quickly comes that time where we were wishing that the clock would slow down. Life is like that. It's, you know, death is, is kind of the element or the elephant in the, in the room. We dread it. We, we hate it. Uh, you know, we say, I'm not afraid to die. But if you've ever walked out of the doctor's office hearing that word cancer, you know, things change a little bit. Or especially when you hear it with someone you love. Death is an enemy, and the scripture tells us that God hates death. Now, you would ask the question, and it's a fair question, if, if God hates death, and if God is supposedly all-powerful, and God is all-loving, then wouldn't you think He would do something about the greatest enemy that you and I face? It would be a logical conclusion. I mean, if God could create this life in this world, couldn't He recreate life? Couldn't He resurrect life? And the truth that we here today celebrate with people all over the world is that God has faced that enemy and that God has won that battle over death. Verses 25 and 26 1 Corinthians 15, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, we're going to look at Paul's, just specifically here, this passage that Paul uh, gives to us, because it's, it's very encouraging. If you, if you can believe it, if you can, if you can just have the faith to believe this is true, and it's, it's transforming kind of truth. This fact that God is making all things new. We've been looking at over the last several weeks. But just kind of the big picture of what we're looking at. And, and I realize this is a little far out. You know, as you, as you hear the story, and I'm just going to tell you briefly, the, the, the big story of what the Bible tells us is going on in the world. You know, it sounds kind of far out. I, I walked up Rib Mountain this morning. Actually, I went up in back of our house because there was so much... There's something up on top Sunday morning, and there's traffic. So I, I went up back, and I was kind of standing on this outcropping, looking out. And I was just looking at the clouds, and the, and the, the blue sky, and the mountain, and all the trees budding. And I was you know, looking at the sunrise, and I'm going, that's pretty far out. I'm looking at some stuff that's pretty far out. And a God that could create this could do just about anything. And so this morning... Uh, what I tell you is far out, but it's not beyond what God has already demonstrated He can do. The Bible tells us before the world was even created that God 
wanted to demonstrate his character and wanted to reveal himself to his creation. And so God knew before the world was even created that he would need to come to save the world. It would be a demonstration of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, of what he was willing to do in order to demonstrate his love for us whom he had created. And so the world was created, man was given a choice, man chose to sin and God told him in the beginning, the day that you sin, you will die. Death will come into the world. And so all of us are sitting here today, if you believe that, then you're sitting here today and the reason that you're dying is because sin came into the world. Sin came into my world at a very young age. Sin came into your world. It's part of our nature, the scripture tells us. And so as we live out our lives, death is a very real part of our lives. It did not take God by surprise. We see that as man sinned and death came into the world, so everyone dies. We are powerless to change that. And the message of the scripture is that God came and, and took on that enemy, our greatest enemy, and he has defeated that enemy. The scripture says, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To as many as received him and believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we have lived so long in this reality that to us, death is just normal. Death is a normal part of our lives. And I'm here to tell you today that in God's eyes, death is not normal. Death is abnormal. Death was part of the curse. Death is what God has come to change. And so, for his people, we are called to live in the reality that death has been conquered. In fact, the scriptures even, you know, they use the word, and we read it this morning, those who have fallen asleep. And the reason the scripture uses that is not that it's denying the reality of death, but it's, it's trying to bring out the reality, as Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In fact, he said, he who believes in me will never die. And so, we have this reality that God has come to bring us life. Well, let's take just a few moments here and, uh, and let's just look at 1 Corinthians 15. And here's the setting. There are teachers, there are philosophers. Uh, Roman culture was filled with the philosophy of Plato, which said our, our souls are, in house, are housed by these uh, corruptible, corrupting bodies, and the body really doesn't matter. It's just the spirit that matters. And so there were all these philosophies going on. There were people that saying Christ didn't really rise from the dead. Uh, it was just his spirit that came and left. And all this is going on. They're denying the reality of the resurrection. And so we walk through this, and I'm just going to read through it with you, and uh, just to hear his, his thinking here in verse, we read here in verse 12. He says that if, you know, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there's no resurrection? And here are the implications. Verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So what you're saying then is that Jesus Christ was never raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, 
what you're saying is our preaching is useless and so is your faith. I mean, this is a joke. For us to gather here today, there's much better things we could do. We could be out golfing. We could be out enjoying the morning, having brunch somewhere. He's saying if Christ is not raised from the dead, then faith is useless. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. We are saying something that isn't true. We're claiming that Christ raised from the dead when after all He hasn't been raised from the dead. We're testifying falsely. Verse, and then he says in, in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So, Christ has not been raised. Verse 17, again, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Verse 18, then those who fall asleep in Christ really are just lost. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. In other words, we are worse off than most. And then he has one of the most powerful words in all the Bible. It's a three-letter word. It's the word but. But, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who fall asleep. First fruits of those who fall asleep. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm giving you this sign. It was more than turning water into wine. It was more than cleansing the lepers. It was more than healing the lame. It was more than calming the sea and multiplying the loaves. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a sign. A sign that what I am saying, what I have taught, that my words are true, that I am who I said I am. John 2, 18 and 19. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Fair question. Because Jesus was making some pretty astounding claims. And here's what Jesus answered. And here it is. This is a sign. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. I can make any claims I want, but if I stood in front of you and said, you know what, I'm going to validate my claims by dying and three days later being raised from the dead. That would be something that would get your attention. See, this is why this is so powerful. This is so powerful because it was so real. And because we're hearing now, you know, this wasn't written 200 years later. We're talking about eyewitnesses who saw it with their own eyes, who experienced it. You know, Paul tells us, why this is so convincing. If we just back up, he says, verse, chapter 15, verse 3, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. You know, that's why this is so powerful. This is, this is eyewitness stuff here that's going on. And what Paul explains is that Jesus here is the first fruits. 
Now, to us, that means practically, probably nothing. But it was very, very powerful. And the more you look at the Old Testament, the more amazing all of it becomes, just the timing of everything. For 1,500 years, on the Jewish calendar, I'm just going to mention three of them. On the Jewish calendar, it had been the Passover. It had been the... And, and the Passover, of course, was when they took the lamb and they killed the lamb and they put the blood over the doorposts. They were remembering the day that they did that and God's judgment passed over them because of the blood that was sacrificed. That was the Passover. 1,500 years they had been observing that. Then there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which started the next day. And the second day was the wave offering, which was the first fruits. That's when the wheat stalks and just a few of the barley and so forth were brought in. And the priest would wave that over the altar. And it was, a, it was thanksgiving that God had provided the first fruits of the harvest. So that Feast of Unleavened Bread and the wave offering, that was the second one. And then the third one was the Feast of Weeks, which began 50 days out from that. And that was the ingathering of the entire harvest, the celebration of the beginning of the ingathering. So, here you have Jesus Christ is hanging on this cross the very afternoon that the lambs are being killed for the, in the Passover remembrance the lambs are being killed in the temple, and as John said, Behold, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Christ dies. The next day is the beginning. Saturday is the beginning of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Sunday morning, the priests are in the temple waving you know, the shocks of wheat and barley, celebrating the first fruits of the harvest. And Paul writes, Jesus Christ, on the very same day, now is God's first fruit the first one to be resurrected from the dead. Fifty days later on the day of Pentecost, there would be the coming of the Holy Spirit. Three thousand people would be converted that day and believe. And the beginning of the rest of the harvest comes in. All of this happens to the very day. And Paul was very much aware of this. Very much aware of all these Old Testament feasts and, feasts and festivals. And he, he saw these connections that Christ truly was the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Well, verse 35, and uh, we'll kind of wind down here in this area because Paul gets very specific. People are asking, they're saying, well, what, what kind of body would you have? I mean, and we can bet they had all these questions, you know. So what happens if someone falls out of a boat and they fall into the sea and they get eaten by fish? And then people catch the fish, and people eat the fish, and I mean, you know, all this stuff, you know, how, how are they going to be raised from the dead? And so Paul was getting this kinds of stuff, and he says, you know, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And Paul says, how foolish. How foolish to think that there couldn't, that there wouldn't be a resurrection of the dead, that God couldn't somehow figure that out. And so Paul begins to say, you know, he says, just look around you. I mean, just look around you. You can take a little seed of shriveled up corn. It's all dried up and hard. And as, I mean, it just looks dead. And you can take that seed of corn and you can put it in the ground. 
and it will come up in something amazing. You can take a round, ugly little bulb and put it in the ground, and lo and behold, you know, you get stuff like what we see around here. Paul's saying, can you understand that? Can you see that God's already doing that with flowers and plants? Don't you think he could do that with us? And so he's making his argument here, first from the agriculture world. Then he goes to the animals. And he's saying, look, look at all the animals. God gives them a body just as they need. You know, look at the birds of the air. I remember once a, a book, it said, it was a book of silly questions. Why do birds, you know, fly south? You know, the answer was, it's too far to walk. Well, you know, there's some real truth to that. Just imagine, if, if birds didn't have wings, we'd have no birds here because they'd all die out. God gave them wings because they need to be able to move over vast areas. He made the fish. You know, these, these fish that can live underwater 24 hours a day. You know, we can go down with the fish and uh, we can just stay down there for a little bit. We have to do all kinds of things to be down there. Uh, they've discovered these fish that are down several miles, these itty-bitty little fish and the pressures are so great there that you would need a, a two-inch thick you know, container in order not to be crushed. And these little fish are down there swimming around. God's given them a body designed for where they are. Then he moves to the celestial realm. He says, look at the sun. You know, it's one kind of body. And then the moon and the stars. Even the stars differ. They're all unique. So here's the point. God can take your body as it grows old and dry and shrivels up and appears to be dead. And God can take that body and he says, it is sown as perishable, verse 42. It is sown, verse 43, in dishonor. It is sown in weakness. I don't have to convince anyone that our bodies are perishing. I don't think I have to convince anyone that our bodies dishonor us. I mean, I've known intelligent, sharp, uh, you know, very uh, stately-looking men and women who in the later days of their life, their body dishonors them. They can't think anymore. The words don't come. They're hunched over. And our bodies do that to us. Uh, we get weaker as we get older. We don't recover as fast. So we have all these things. We can identify the body that is sown is, is like that. What Paul is saying, it is going to be raised with a new body. The new body will be imperishable. It will be glorious. Matthew 13 says that the righteous will shine like the sun. There will be a brilliance to those new bodies. And it will be powerful. And what's important to remember here is that though we are promised new bodies, God does not throw away the old. God takes the old and, and He renews it and He restores it. But there's a connection between the old and the new. If there wasn't, then we wouldn't be talking about you being resurrected from the dead. We would just say you're going to have a, a new body around your spirit. They are not disconnected. So what will it look like? What will that body look like? Well, we see here in verse 49, 
He says, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Let me read one other passage from Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. So what is Christ's glorious body? We know a little bit. We know that he walked. He still had four arms. You know, he still had four limbs. He had two arms and two legs. He walked. He talked. He, uh, he still had visible symptoms. He had the, the uh, nail holes in his hands and his side. We read that he ate with the disciples. This is his glorified, his new body after his resurrection. We see he was able to move apparently through walls from one place to another. And so we are told here that we will still have some connections with this body of all. We will remember. We will remember people. We will still have ministry to perform and tasks to do. All of these things give us a clue and, uh, you know, we don't know, but this, this picture of being some kind of winged spirit flying around in the heavens is just not what the Scripture portrays for us. We are portrayed a new, a new earth. Uh, this creation will be restored. Our bodies will be renewed. And the Scripture tells us that we shall have bodies like His glorious body. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know. But if, if, if you think that the new earth and the new body will in any way diminish any aspect of life, then I think you fail to understand uh, that what God has in store will far surpass anything that we have experienced here. In conclusion, as we sit here this morning, uh, our greatest enemy is death. Our greatest enemy is our separation from God. Our greatest enemy is our sin. And death is a symptom. Death is a very obvious red light on the dashboard that says something's wrong that we all need to take care of. Death will end our life here one day. It will end your life on this earth one day. As I said, the reason we are all dying is because we, like the rest of mankind, have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't like that reality, but someone has said reality is our friend. And because of that, God has stepped into our reality. He took on the form of a man, and he has taken on death. And as we celebrate today, Easter is the remembrance and the celebration of Christ dying for our sin and demonstrating his power over death for all who believe. Whosoever will may come. That's the invitation God gives to all of us today. Father, we thank you for these words. And they truly are, in some ways, far out words. And yet, you have told us that you have demonstrated to us in your creation that you are a God that can create life. Father, everything there is, as we look around us today, 
you created at one time out of nothing. But the one thing that eternally has existed for all time, Father, is you. And you have created everything there is. And Lord, we just proclaim today that if you can create out of nothing, you can take that which is and renew it and recreate it. Father, if you saw a purpose in creating this universe, that Father, you also could have a purpose in creating us. And that as you have created us with a dynamic to love and live, live, live in relationship, a personalness about our lives, so you too, Father, could desire that personal relationship with us. Father, we are here to celebrate today. We are here today to hear your invitation to us to come and to live and to have hope through the person of Jesus Christ. It's to that end that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.